The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. I hurt. Um, I have a lot of pain, mainly in my larger bones, like my back and my hip. That's from both the myeloma itself, from the cancer itself, and from the meds that try to get into those places and try to kind of eat away at the cancer. I'm just tired. I'm tired of the journey. It's been a long journey and, and it wears on you, I think, after a while. I give you the marathon analogy and I look at kind of where I am now and I figure people that run marathons get tired halfway through, right? And they just have to keep plugging away and keep going because the goal is that finish line. But it's not an easy journey. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest and fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healers and the atheists pray. It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. Bombos, Mr. Bombos. Andy Shaleth, Mr. Bombos Dimitriou. <laughs> we have some we have some catching up to do. I think every listener out there is going to be happy to see you again. I'm um, alive and tanned. And <laughs> I, I, I'm happy that the fact you didn't show up for yesterday's show created enough fear that other people started to contact you. Where's Bambos? Where's Bambos? You called my friend. Stephanie said, I sort of, Andy tried to call me yesterday, but I didn't yeah. pick up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so today, today we're on, this is uh, show 226, Bambos. We're really getting up there. Larry Culligan. Lori Jones Culligan. I know her as Lori Jones because I went to grade school with her. We were and then in first, she got married. Yeah, but we were in first grade together. Imagine that. So there's not many people that know me as long as Lori does. Oh, we're and, still going to dig into that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't think about that, but we want to avoid <laughs> that subject. Um, Lori has had an incredible journey and one that is really quite emotional for me. When I was inviting her on, I thought, wow, it would be really special to spend time and hear her story. In 2016, she was diagnosed with multiple melanoma and she's really had a rough time of it. She's had to go through chemotherapy for the last five plus years, four plus years, it's now 2021, two bone marrow transplants in 2017 and 2019. And I thought, you know, I wanna sit and hear what she's gone through, what she's learned, and how that's reshaped her life and and, and how it's impacting her today. So, uh, yeah, there she is. We'll put you in there the I middle am. between the two of us. Oh, lovely. Thanks. <laughs> how did it feel when I call you up out of nowhere and say, let's talk about this stage of your life? Well, I'll tell you, it's been, I guess, much easier watching and learning and reading about your journey um, uh, than it has been about mine. Um, obviously, I've known you for a long time. I've yeah. read your books. I've um, felt honored to be a part of watching your journey, whether it's your travels or your writing. Um, mm. It's been an honor slash really good distraction um, for my life, I would say. Mm. 
Yes. So it was a very warm um, voice hearing um, when you reached out and contacted me. It was a very, really nice memory. Yeah. Yeah. With you, it was a really, there's some asks for shows where it's like a really easy ask. Hey, do you want to talk about your job? Like, that's how it is for me. And then there's like, do you want to talk about the last five years of hell? Oh, you know, like the mentally, that's what's going on in my head of the ask. So for you to say yes is also uh, just to acknowledge it and say thank you for allowing us to hold that space just to discuss something that I can't imagine being easy. Um, yeah, it hasn't um, hasn't been easy. Um, it's been life altering, not just for myself, but for my family, um, for my kids, you know, my kid, my youngest was in high school when we started really dealing with, um, the reality of what we as a family were going through. I really feel like it has never really been my journey, but it's been our journey together as a family. Yeah. And I noticed that when things are not going well, that often they'll be the one that are sort of posting and sharing with the rest of us that are kind of on the outskirts looking in how you're doing. And it, it's always felt yeah. a little bit hard because on one level, when you get these messages, it's always there's this ominous feeling like, oh, you've been admitted to the hospital and you're not well. And on the other end, when you receive that, it's really a hard, it's a hard thing to read. Yeah, I think um, like most things in life, everybody kind of just takes their role, right? So Tim, my husband, has just been my rock. He's just, you know, do anything, anytime. Um, and Ryan, who's our oldest, um, kind of, I think his healing part has been his strength of his voice and his writing. So he's kind of become the speaker of the family. Um, and then Megan um, has just kind of been my person, my buddy, the one that I can hug and love on and go to. Um, and so we each kind of have our own different roles but it took a lot in the beginning. I think it took a lot of the pressure off of me um, feeling like I had to reach out and communicate with people and um, keep them updated about where I was um, and what was going on. And so it kind of Ryan kind of being the speaker of my, of our home um, I think was really healing for him. And it's just kind of stuck for all these years. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's right. Like when you guys get that little update that says, you know, Ryan has posted something on Shoe Strength. It's first it's like a gulp. Yeah. Um, so um, so hopefully it'll be um, if we can find a cure for this darn thing, hopefully it'll be um, postings of of good news. I think it's kind of the yeah. goal going forward. Yeah. Thanks for that, Laurie. Yeah. So um, I, I kind of I don't know if I caught something, but. I'm here with my own family and mm. it feels like it over here. No one sees anyone. And the way you shared about each individual, each individual's role, it's like, I don't know if the cancer has slowed you down in such a way that you can see everyone's quality in the family. I'm not sure if this was the case before. Um, cancer slowed us down in every way I think you can imagine, physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, my family, my, my four-pack, you know, our two kids and my husband and myself, we have always been really close, really, really close, the four of us. Um, and so that part has always, um, I think, had its own individual traits to it, kind of like I described. But 
I think just having cancer, everything is clearer. Um, my relationships with people are better um, in a lot of ways. They're deeper. Um, you just appreciate things um, at a whole nother level. But from, from my family of four, um, we have been a pretty tight pack from the beginning. Um, and I've been very blessed by that. Are there people you're like, I don't have time for that shit anymore? Kind of. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping I was kind of like I was sort of putting cancer into my head earlier and saying, "Wow, if I had that now, would I want to spend the last few hours with these type of people?" And I have like a lot of those people that I just no longer spend time with or around. Yeah, you know, I I didn't have a lot of those people in my life, to be honest. Um, I'm a pretty private person, a pretty we, you know, like I was telling you earlier, this 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 broadcast here has brought a lot of anxiety to me. Um, I don't mm-hmm. like being um, on stage. I don't like being famous. And so um, the cancer itself. So let me back up a little bit. Before I was diagnosed, um, I was a computer analyst by day. Um, so it was basically between me and my computer, worked at home for forever and ever. But my outings either were kid-related or um, I coached volleyball for a very long time. So wow. I played I played for volleyball forever, and then I coached forever, and um, that was kind of my my bubble. Um, but within that, I'd make relationships, but it was built on the confidence that I had in my coaching and in the girls, um, and so um, that was kind of a big thing. But then also then you know, your circle is large because I had so many people that were involved in my life that when um, I was diagnosed, everybody kind of wanted to have a piece of that, right? Yeah. So as years have gone by, um, my type of cancer um, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. And so some people stick with you the whole time and some people naturally kind of fall off. So mm-hmm. To go back, I guess, and answer your original question, I really haven't even had to walk away from some people. I think it's just natural um, over the years that some people have kind of just disappeared in in my day-to-day life. Yeah. So, oh, and by the way, it's multiple myeloma. Um, Oh, interesting. You you wrote that in your message, and I thought it was a spelling error. (laughs) (laughs) So, melanoma is of the skin, myeloma is of... It's in the blood and in my bone marrow. So um, so kind of the opposite location. It's called multiple myeloma. Myeloma. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. I hadn't heard of it. So I just made the assumption it must have been a misspelling, right? That's my other brain <laughs> she works. Must, she must have the wrong cancer. <laughs> she told me the wrong cancer. You mentioned that you had some anxiety being on the show. Is that right? Yeah. Um. Is like is it difficult to talk about this specific subject, or is it just a personality thing? Um, I guess the answer to that would be both. Um, I've never liked being on stage, um, but at the same time, I think talking about it sometimes makes it more real. Um, mm. Whereas sometimes in my day to day, I can distract myself enough where it's not on the forefront of my mind. Um, mm. But talking about it, um, yeah, it just makes it, it's real, it's here, and it's, it's what's going on. Interesting. 
it's real it's here it's what's going on yeah we've had we've had interesting times where we had some guests on when we noticed that like some of the humor we would have would often be considered inappropriate by listeners but the people we were with really appreciated it and i think there's a degree which leads me to the next question is like are there things that irritate you and other people engaging you around the subject you're like oh my god i don't need that again that question or that is there and i know it's maybe a hard question to answer but i still love to to know (laughs) the the good old how are you feeling question (laughs) yeah or those things yeah (laughs) um you know it it's hard because they they care you know the the right people asking that question asking it from the heart, um, they care and they are interested with how I'm feeling. Um, I think some people, when they see me, I think that the other, maybe not even a question, but the statement of you look great. Um, (laughs) and you kind of want to look at them and say, you have no idea how I'm feeling right now. Um, So I think that's harder than the question of how do you feel? Because of course, I'm not going to look at them and tell them exactly how I feel. I'm going to tell them I feel fine or whatever. But the, the assumptions I think are the hardest thing um, of maybe how I look, how I look that day, how, how I acted um, right now. Right. So how the energy that I have on this cast right now um, takes a lot of energy out of me. And so there's a very, very small inner circle, um, really my husband and my kids, but my husband, because he lives with me 24-7, knows the repercussions of really any activity um, that I do. So it's almost like Tim needs to walk around with the video camera and say, okay, this is Lori 10 minutes after she went for a walk or Mm. after she visited with you, um, this this is what happens afterwards um but the 99.9 percent of people don't really see don't see that wow wow it's like so thank you for being with us yeah thank you so like you you see the instagram and then you get this image that someone is really happy or god knows what and then a a, a week later they're divorced you know right it's um i think instagram is good and bad right in so many ways but it's it's a glimmer of time um but it's it's a it's a second. It's just a snapshot of something. But there's 24 hours in the day that mm. you know the rest of the time might not have been what you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laurie, you, you mentioned if someone says you look great. <laughs> Sorry, because I haven't seen my family for a long time visiting here. Normally, I'm sitting next to Andy. So my niece, she's pregnant. She feels oh. terrible. And I'm a photographer, so when I look at her, I'm and I'm like, wow, you are sensationally beautiful. And she'll be like, look at me with this like cringed look, like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm like, like, sweetheart, I'm not trying to make you feel good, but right now I would like take you out and photograph you. I don't need you to smile. I just love and maybe you feel shit in your head, but you're glowing to me. So I'm wondering to what degree could that be the case and to what degree is it just people trying to make you feel good? Well, I think it's both. And I think it's, it's a gift that we give to other people sometimes too. I mean, if, if I looked like I felt sometimes, then it might make people uncomfortable around me. Nah. So maybe it's see, a gift that we have to give to yeah. others. Do you see sometimes you have to put up some sort of show so that they don't see how, how rough it is for you? Um. 
Yeah, I think sometimes it's more like most of the time and not just sometimes. I got it. It's like me going to the an outing with my wife at the business dinner and pretending that I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> by, by now, he's made that statement so many times that anyone in his wife's network watching this already knows. Sorry. She's got me. She's already listened to some shows and she's always like, baby, lay off on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Laurie, uh, I, I, I want to slow us down a little bit. Mm. Given the fact that this is a show, and I and I also feel the care in a way for for you, mm. and a big gratitude being here. So what I'm trying to say is, let's slow down, take a few deep breaths, and really, I want to ask you, how do you feel right now, this moment, without trying to perform or anything like that? Um, I think I'm just tired. That's right now has been kind of my biggest thing is almost like debilitating fatigue for me. Mm. Um, I hurt. Um, I have a lot of pain, mainly in my larger bones, like my back and my hip. Um, that's from both the myeloma itself, from the cancer itself, and from the meds that try to get into those places and try to kind of eat away at the cancer. So, um, yeah, I just... Um, I'm just tired. Um, you know, I'm tired of, I'm tired of the journey to be really honest, um, mm. to be open about it. You know, it's, it's been a long journey and, and it wears on you, I think after a while. So, but I, you know, I, I give you the marathon analogy and I look at kind of where I am now and I figure people that run marathons get tired halfway through. Right. And they just have to keep plugging away and keep going because the goal is that finish line. Um, so, um, but it's, it's not an easy journey. I think fatigue is kind of a hard thing, um, because it's invisible, right? You can't, I mean, sometimes you can look at somebody and just say, you look exhausted, right? Yeah. Um, but besides that fatigue, um, is invisible. I could be okay one minute and then literally I'm like, I have to go to sleep right now. And it's, it's the oddest feeling ever, but your body basically just says, we're done. We're done. Um, and so um, you can't really plan for much. You can't, um, you know, I mean, COVID aside, my life really hasn't changed really much at all. So you don't, you don't really plan for much. Um, car rides are easy if I'm the passenger, right? Because I can turn and just shut off anytime that I need to. Um but my body is tired. I think it's it's been through a lot these past several years. When you felt your body like not perform and react the way that you expected it, you know, I I haven't had even close to that. I'm just turning fifty, and you already know at fifty, shit doesn't work like it used to. It doesn't, and, yeah. And then and then and then I, I'm wondering, like, as you see acceleration of things. How is it for you to like, uh, like, almost surrender and say, "I can't do it"? Can how how hard is it to make peace with the fact your body isn't doing what you would normally see it doing? Um, so a little bit about me is I'm kind of stubborn. I'm not. Um, I'm not very forgiving to my own self. 
And mm. so I'm the one that says to my body, let's go. Um, so surrendering has been a journey. It's been a process. Um, I'm not there. Um, some days I get out and I, I go for my walks, um, in this area where there's nobody else around. I put my headphones on. I kind of have rules that I set. That might be one of the words, by the way, Andy, I have rules that I set. And that rule is I go by myself on my walks. I put my headphones in my ears. I don't bring dogs. I don't bring husbands. I don't bring kids. It's just, it's my personal time. Mm. Um, and sometimes I sit there and literally tell my body, like, let's go. And some days I'm just dragging and some days I can walk a good couple miles as long as it's flat. Um, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not, I'm not that kind to my body all the time where I don't always rest when I need to rest. I'm stubborn. Um, and maybe in hindsight, that's how I've gotten to where I've gotten, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm not yeah. ready to give in and I'm not ready really to surrender to it yet. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine that that determination is what's brought you here. I hope so. Um, it kind of depends on who you ask. I think the mental determination, maybe, probably a lot. Um, physically, others worry and others being friends, family, medical, kind of a combination of um, me pushing myself too much sometimes and yeah. robbing myself of energy that I need um, to fight the cancer. Yeah. So um, it's kind of a mixed bag. And it's also hard sometimes to know when I should push it and when I shouldn't push it. So some, it's, yeah. um, I think it's kind of a learning experience every, every day. It's, it's a brand new bag every day. Yeah. Well, Thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, to what degree, Lauri? Because I, I hear that there's a lot of the determination and to, you know, if you're sick, you can also just lie in bed all day and just mm -hmm. almost give up. But what I hear you doing is going out in the world and making sure that you look after yourself. Mm -hmm. I often hear Andy saying, I spend a lot of time preparing to die. And to what degree do you balance that awareness with the awareness of preparing to live fully every moment? Well, I try to remind myself um, that I'm alive right now, right? Mm. And so um, what can I do right now to enjoy being alive? And that might be going for a walk. That might be... Um, Spending time with others, whether it's on FaceTime, a phone call, um, oftentimes I'm mostly protected by text messages because then I kind of feel like I get to stay in control, right? And I get to nip it when I want to nip it. And mm. there's no, no judgment of how I look, how I sound. Um, but I also spend a lot of time writing and journaling. And I think the the living part right so that's the engaging whether i'm walking or engaging with my family or others but then the preparing for dying part might be the journaling and being mm. at peace with myself and my journey and being able to express my fears and my feelings on paper and getting it kind of off of me that might be the um preparing myself for dying and and being okay with the journey mm. Mm. I find that beautiful that 
the writing is a way of therapeutically sort of connecting or allowing the emotions to be free without having it be, for instance, something that needs to be interacted around. Yeah, you know, what's yeah. funny is when I when I first got diagnosed, um, I kind of mentioned that I had this family of volleyball, you know, and and I, I mean, we're talking like 150 girls were part of our little volleyball family. And by the bagfuls, I was receiving coloring books, crayons, journals, pens. Um, and I looked at all this stuff saying, what the heck? Like, um, I was the energizer bunny going into this, right? I never yeah. sat, I never slept. Um, I multitasked more than you could ever imagine. Hmm. And people are giving me this stuff and I'm like, you guys are crazy. Um, and so I re-gifted most of it over the years. <laughs> um, but I will tell you that that's where I have found my peace and my solitude is whether I'm sad, whether I'm frustrated with something, someone, the cancer, um, the judgments, the lack of freedom, um, I've turned to writing. And and I know it. Like I, I listen for a while to myself and I feel the frustration. And as soon as I really get it off my chest and onto paper, I just feel so much better. You know, when we talked about the show and the uh, and the idea, it was interesting because I came up with sort of different different ways of discussing it. And then I and you mentioned the mountain analogy, and what I noticed is that in the in the mountain mountain analogy, there are all these false peaks where you're climbing, and then you get to the top and you realize there's another peak, the other that, that's further down the road you didn't yeah. see. And when you when you were describing your journey, I felt like when I was climbing the Annapurna Mountains um, and thinking I just made it to the top and then realized there's another damn uh -oh. thing that's over there. <laughs> and so and, and to what degree have you sort of been able to allow yourself to say, OK, I'm never going to get to the top. There's just going to be another place that I need to see. Is that something that you finally said, OK, I'm OK with that? Yeah, I think you kind of just have to learn to live the journey. Um, yeah. When I was first diagnosed, I um, took my energy and my aggression out on exercise. Um, and so I, at the time I was diagnosed, but not so debilitating where I couldn't go do that, right? And so people would come in and I'd be on a treadmill like with the 30 incline and they're like, oh boy, she must've gotten some bad news today. And I would just start climbing and climbing. Um, and that's kind of become my thing. So. Um, for a while, it was, um, you know, I couldn't run so that I'd hike. So it was just, I'm one that would just keep pushing that envelope a little bit more. But then I started realizing why I was doing it. Um, you know, the energy, yes, I needed to get out of me. But as the years progressed, I've learned just to sit and just admire, um, you know, the views from each of those little plateaus that we find, right? Mm. So then you take that back to my treatments. Um, and so we, um, you know, we have a transplant, we start to feel better for a while, we go on a med where it seems to be working for a while. And that's that mountain peak, right, that you get to. And you sit there and say, well, I'm not done yet, right? You knew you weren't done hiking yet. I'm not done fighting this cancer yet. But, um, but look at this beautiful view. Look how I'm feeling today. Um, mm look who I get to be with today or what I get to see today. I mean, my daughter got married a year ago. My son's getting married next year. 
those are all peaks um, that we've really gotten to enjoy through this whole journey. Um, But there's more mountains to climb for sure. And it's, I, I'd be a fool if I didn't know that the peaks were not going to get harder. Um, my body, as you know, 50 comma cancer are not good combinations. Um, and just the repercussions that the, um, the cancer and the treatments have had on my body, um, it makes the climb that much harder. I mean, it really does. So it's, it's still there ahead of us. Um, I always like to think about how I feel and realize that there are other myeloma patients, even with my own cancer, that have it a lot worse than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is that's probably where I'm going to be someday. So let's enjoy this phase of the journey to the best that we can right now. Yeah. It's interesting because when Bambos, when I say to Bambos, a lot of my life is preparing to die then it's actually by living in this very moment. So it's interesting. It's kind of a paradox Mm because I always say, you know, when I say something like that, I have people saying, God, you're so depressing. And I laugh and say, I'm kind of really happy. So I don't know what, I don't know why you think it's depressing to be, but it's because there's an association with this negative thing. And what I've, what I question I always want to ask myself is if I die today, and it was this was this the way I, I wanted to be today? And if I say yes to that, then I'm saying, "Wow, I'm prepared to die right now." And if I say no to that, it's like, "Shit, what have I got to arrange so that I'm prepared to die again?" <laughs> well, I figure we it's, can all get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? Exactly. So anybody yeah. should be living every day to the fullest. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the reality is the reality, right? Everybody, everybody you know, expires at some point, but, um, so we all should try, no matter what we have going on in our lives, we all need to try to just live each day the best that we possibly can. So we know that there's people that we mutually know watching this podcast right now. So I'd like to know what is the most embarrassing thing that Judith Jones has ever done? Oh boy. (laughs) Judith Jones. Well, um, I think one of the funny stories about Judith was that when we were in high school and she was continually late for school every day, uh-huh. the, um, the tardy slip that she brought into first period one time, no kidding, said dog chase on it because out of all honesty and Judith is her, her biggest fault is that she's too honest, right? So she shows up at the tardy slip lady and says, I was chasing my dog down the street because my dog got out and her tardy slip said dog chase on it. <laughs> that is so um, that would be that would be judith yes um and you know i mean like you andy i mean i've known you since the first grade um yeah. i've got friends you know um that we've been closer than close for many years and then yeah. um you know things happen in life whether it's relationships or diseases or children that bring you closer Um, some people have vanished for many years for no bad reason. And then all of a sudden they come back and guess what? They're, they're good people to have in your life too. Um, that's what I found really beautiful in your journey is that the one thing, you know, when I was talking to Ronnie the other day and I said, Ronnie, um, you know, I've noticed that I'm closer with the people I went to grade school with 
in mm-hmm. like high school than I am with people I went to college Isn't that with. Odd, yeah. But we grew yeah. up together. We we went through phases together, and there's something about that growth period I think in our lives that um, we've experienced so much together. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And my how kids it... have seen the same thing. Oh yeah. How how has it been for you? to sort of kind of, because I imagine in some weird way, there's like this, there's kind of a, a, a curve, like we all kind of grow, we all graduate, we have our own lives, and then we kind of come back together again. So how has it been to have like those type of friends at a moment when it's like, these are two very emotional moments in your life, you know, you're just forming your identity in one level. And then on the last one, you're really kind of dealing with life's really like life shit. So how has it been to have that group kind of carry you in these two, two two portions of your life? I think you kind of just realize um, who you're taking with you at that point in your journey, right? So, um, you know, you your analogy of going through everything in like a big circle, right? As you're evolving through this journey, you're going to take some people with you along the way. And then some yeah. people are going to be maybe, um, maybe they were there based on opportunity and environment and, you know, people that you hang out with um, because your kids are of the same age, right? Um, yeah. I know obviously our moms were friends when we were growing up. And yeah. um, and then as you evolve during different stages of your life, you take people along with you and then some people kind of stay behind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it may not always be a, a negative thing. It's just, um, that's just kind of how the cycle of life goes, I believe. Mm. But some people yeah. have stayed with me and then you pick up others along the way. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I've got obviously my my childhood friends that have been with me the entire time. I've got childhood friends that have reengaged. And then I've got mm. some adult friends that um, I feel like I've known my entire life as well. Yeah. You know, when you when you said it was interesting for me because uh, I was thinking back at something you said earlier when you were talking about this flood of people that were coming to support you. And, and, and I, and I, and I, even in my best of moments am overwhelmed when that many people are reaching out to me Uh because I have an emotional obligation in the back of my head somewhere to reach out and let them know, Hey, I've got your message. Thank you for this. Or thank you for that. So knowing that you're exhausted and depleted, how has the journey been to say, hey, I'm receiving all this, but on one level, I can't really give much back at the moment. Like, how has that been? That's evolved a lot. I think in the beginning, I felt that um, I needed to respond. I mean, um, from when I was coaching and teaching and everything, then I was the club director, right? So it was my job um, in a day-to-day basis to make sure that I was the one responding to everybody. And then... um, handing that off to my son was a huge help. Um, Mm. and then now I do a lot of writing. So I've, I've kind of explained my journaling, but I also am a letter writer. Um, and so I feel like, um, I can reach out to people, whether they're kids, um, or adults. I do a lot of letter writing, a lot of card writing, and that's kind of my time where I feel like, um, I'm okay with reaching out to them at a time that's good for me and not necessarily yeah. the time that's good for them when they're bouncing a text to me or something. Um, I do a lot of letter writing. So I've become pen pals with um, a lot of a lot of littles, meaning like old volleyball kids that I've coached when they were super young or now maybe it's their children because they've yeah. grown up. Um, so I feel like it's almost a gift that I can give to them where – 
you know, there's nothing better than receiving that card in the mail, right? It's, it's that um, being in the present right there and being able to, um, to speak to somebody just from your heart and, and write it down. So that's how um, I've kind of chosen to respond to the masses is just kind of one letter at a time. Wow, that's beautiful. So, yeah. or my son speaks to the larger crowd when that larger circle, yeah. you know, needs to kind of be addressed. You know, when, when I read out the, the, you know, you gave me, I said, so give me a little bit of a, like a, a info of your background before the show, like months ago. And I looked and I saw two bone marrow transplants in 2017 and 2019. And, uh, and, and I, and, and all I know is that can't be a not painful experience. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing with my type of cancer because when, I was diagnosed and they put me on chemo. They kind of just said, okay, you're going to go on chemo for a couple of months and then you get to have a bone marrow transplant. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like if the chemo works, why is that the prize at the end? Right. Yeah. I had a really hard time getting through that. Um, the goal of the bone marrow transplants is to give you a remission. It's almost like pushing the reset button. So you take all this chemo that kind of hides the cancer and then the, okay. the bone marrow transplants are supposed to kind of be that reset and pause. Unfortunately, it's not a cure, um, but it is a pause. And so the transplant itself, they basically go in and they give you a really high dose of chemotherapy that they attribute it to like a forest fire throughout your body. So it's, they say it's the oldest, strongest chemo on the market and they go through and just fry everything out of you. Um, and then the transplant part of it is actually um, just, but it's just like a, like a blood transfusion, right? Because you're, you're transplanting stem cells. Okay. So there's no surgery. There's no cutting into your bone marrow as people's imagination might go. It's um, you're transplanting stem cells, which looks to you like a bag of blood, right? Um, okay. but it's a, kind of a bag of magic. And your body's job is to welcome them and to from then just create more and more and more, you know, new stem cells. Um, they call it a rebirthday. So they come in and sing happy birthday to you. It's kind of like the beginning of your life again. Wow. You have to have all your baby vaccines all over again because everything has been completely stripped. That is crazy. Um, it's pretty amazing. Um, the fatigue, the mouth sores, things like that are the painful part. Um, but you don't have a surgical anything that's causing you pain. It's more of your body's as close to death as you're ever going to be, right? Yeah. Um, it's almost like, you know, it, you're pushing yourself to an edge, hoping, of mm -hmm. course, you don't go over, only so that you can come out on the other side of it. And and the facilities that I'm at, I'm really blessed with my medical teams that there's like a whiteboard in your hospital room and, and you're in the hospital for a couple months. I mean, it's not like an in and out. You're in for a couple months and most of the time you're um, restricted to your room only because the risk of infection, everything just stepping outside of your room. But there's a whiteboard on your room and it'll have a graph on it and it'll tell you like these are going to be your crummy days and then you're going to dip down and it's going to get worse and then it's going to get better. So you can almost like foresee exactly how you're going to feel in a few days. Um, 
That's um, wild. It's almost like then, it, it is really like you said, climbing a mountain. You know, oh, is. that's going to be the that's going to be the days I'm going to have a tough climb. Mm-hmm. You, you, the doctors, the medical staff has done this so much that they kind of know how your how your body's going to feel on what days. Um, and then a lot of times that's kind of one and done for most patients. Um, and my my first transplant was in May of seventeen. And Tim and I literally sat in the hospital making plans to like travel in the fall because this was the end, right? This was my remission period. We literally booked flights. So we had everything like we had friends that we said, hey, these are the dates we're going to be on the East Coast. And that was May of 2017. And by July, I was in full relapse. That meant we went back to the drawing board. We went back on treatment again. And we kind of held on that treatment for a while until I relapsed again in 2019. And at that point, the doctors had decided that a traditional bone marrow transplant, like it didn't work the first time, it probably isn't going to work the second time. So we did a more aggressive type of bone marrow transplant, which really just meant that the pre-chemos, there was instead of that one forest fire, there was now four forest fires um, including that same one plus three others. Um, but we had to go to Arkansas for that one. Um, it wasn't a, a treatment that was offered in California at our facilities. So away we went to Arkansas. I need to slow you down a bit. Like I'm still with the first forest fire. And <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're like, we've gone through many forest fires right now. Our, <laughs> like, how was that for you, that moment mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, wow. Like, in my body, we completely, like, felt, I felt defeated in that moment. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, when you said from the one to the next, like, it was like like everything in my stomach dropped. It was like, okay, you've made it to a point where you've already worked your ass off. And then the next thing you know, you go, like, how how is that? Like, I can't, I want to throw up right now. That's how I feel, to be honest with you, when just hearing I- you speak about it. For me, um, I, my, my worst day ever in this whole treatment journey was the day that they told me I relapsed. Hmm. Um, worse even than my initial diagnosis for some odd reason. My initial diagnosis was basically I kind of wanted to flip them off and be like, forget you. I'm going to beat this. It was mad. Um, remember, I'm a competitor, so hmm. I'm not um, – I wasn't really in that emotional phase And then I did my chemo. I did my transplant. We made our plans, right? Like life was going to resume. And July 17th, 2017 is when I went in and they said, you're in full relapse. Wow. Um, That was the day that I cried. Mm. That was my hardest day because it wasn't supposed to be that way we had stuff to do. You know, I, I, I did my, my penance. Right. And that was the day that was my hardest day. And that was the day. If you go back to that good old surrender word, I didn't have a choice. My body at that point had surrendered and said, this is real. Um, and I think for that, for sure, from my family perspective, um, in fact, I left there when they first told me, we were we were vacationing in Ventura when I had my follow up appointment. So Tim and I 
we had the car packed and ready to go to Ventura. And we stopped at the doctor for my appointment. And they said, you need to come back Monday and start treatment. And I was like, oh, no, we're going on vacation. And they're like, you need to be here Monday for back on treatment again. Um, So that's when it became very real that I think maybe that I was no longer in control. Mm. Um, that the cancer had really finally taken control of me and my lifestyle and my decisions and my family. Um, that was the hardest part. So that was in between my two transplants. Mm. Wow. Yeah, um, I have the same thing. Like I'm sitting there, <laughs> like I have, I have a thought and I'm like, what the hell is going on in my brain right now? Um, uh, like we've had someone on our show who's a dear friend of mine and we had him on the show before he would, he had a brain tumor. And ever since he's had his operation and we've been meeting it once every two weeks. And like even this forest fire that you talk about, the, like the full body forest fire, that's exhausting. Mm. I, I've, seen, I've seen what a little forest fire has done for him. And you're talking about a full body one. The entire body, entire body, yeah. And then you're told on Monday we we're gonna we actually you've done the seals boot camp, and on Monday we're not gonna let you pass. We're gonna let you go all the way from the beginning. Two weeks yeah. of hell week. Yeah, exactly. Like the Marines, you just got the Marines again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I am so sorry that you uh, had to go through this. Like mm. my body. I think me and Andy, when people speak, we feel it in our bodies. Like I, I'm, uh, I have nothing. I have don't know what to say to you, Lauri. Yeah. I'm, uh, I just feel for crying right now. Yeah. Well, I, when I hear that from people, um, my response, I think my automatic response, but also from my heart is that I just feel like we all have something that we go through. Right. Mm. Um, some people it's divorce and poor relationships um, or addiction or pain or physical ailments. And I think I've just really learned over the years that we, this is the journey that we're on and we have a choice on how we want to deal with it. Um, I luckily have never been divorced. I haven't been in a horrible relationship and I can only imagine the pain that that would cause while somebody's going through that. And so for me, this is, this is my thing. Um, And there's a lot of crummy days, whether it's emotional or physical. um, But ultimately we have a choice on, on how we're going to walk this journey. Yeah. Well, we didn't want to have you shoulder the burden of our emotional state, but we can't deny that I want to puke. That's all I can say. Like, that's just, it, I can't get that out of my body. I think that's why, I think when, I think I only start to write when I feel like I'm going to puke because it basically is like, it's, it doesn't, it, it has to be so connected to the emotions that are really going on inside of me. Otherwise, it's not, it's not worth saying. So, yeah. And um, I, I need to write when I'm finally realized that I've said it to Tim 10 times, like how much something is bothering me. And I really just need to say something. And then finally, I, he comes up the next morning and maybe I haven't slept all night and I'm like, Oh, I journal and I feel so much better. Like it's off my chest. And Tim's probably yeah. like, thank God you finally <laughs> put that down. Cause God forbid he, if he tells me to go journal, then my response to him is don't tell me what to do. 
But when I come to realization that it's it's really whatever it is at that moment is really affecting me and I finally get it off, um, yeah. it makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. So, um, but here's a funny story. So you- Is it about Andy? Me, yeah, well, Andy <laughs> might remember, you know, growing up, um, you know, stringy straight hair. As I grew into an adult, I had blonde-ish hair, but bone straight, bone straight. And the more you lose your hair, the curlier it gets. Oh, wow. So my hair so both you, times came back and, super curly. And did you like that? It's been easy. Um, uh -huh. You know, I, I guess for me, when I lost my hair the first time, my doctor came in and he was like, nice curls. <laughs> um. And it may be a repercussion of being back on chemo for all this time. The chemo could be contributing to it. But um, mm. my hair, you know, from people that knew me before, when I lost my hair the first time and then I was trying to kind of find myself, I never wore a wig, never once wore a wig, not, mm. not for an event, not for an outing. Who cares? This is who I am. Um, yeah. The prior me would walk around in a sweaty ponytail all day coaching. So what? what did I need a wig for? It just wasn't who I am. Yeah. Um, and so I think from the outside, people really wanted me to get back to who they knew me as. Right. Oh, so yeah. after I lost my hair the first time, it was like, Oh gosh, let's blow out your hair. Let's make it straight. And let's add some highlights and let's do this. And I'm like, but that's, that's not who I am right now. Yeah. So um, this is just mm -hmm. kind of where I'm at right now. And um, I'll tell you, it's, it's easy if nothing else. I mean, the best stage I can get to is a sweaty ponytail again. That's, that's who I am. So, um, so yeah, so not, not bone straight anymore. It's like super, super curly now. Mm. You know, you'd said at the beginning that you had read both books, which uh, is always baffling to me when, cause I always feel like people know more about me than I want them to. <laughs> it's almost like when I write, I don't necessarily know, or Bombus will laugh and say, you know, I say, if one person reads this thing, it's great. I mean, I'm not out there to, you know, it's, this is just, and then when I'm thinking, oh shit, like, you know, so in reading the books, it, what did you take away from them? So what was the thing for you that either touched you or in any way influenced the way you see things? You know, I think um, almost kind of like what I touched on before is that we all have a journey. We all have mm. um something that defines who we are and something that um, we have to make choices about how, how we deal with things. And so um, it was um, maybe not, um, I mean, it was inspiring, um, but maybe not, you know, joyful and, and glorious on, on your journey, but it was inspiring to me to see how you've, how you've handled your journey and where you're at now. And, um, and I don't know, maybe that's what's gotten me to write more things down um, mm. and find, find healing in them along the way as well. Mm. When, when you were speaking about the suffering of others, right? I think on one level, um, we all have in that term, our, our crosses to bear. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I've often thought to myself, it's not really the cross, but as you said, it's how you navigate it and in a weird thing as you spoke and i can easily or very much connect to it is that you spoke more about it being a journey than trying to get to the outcome mm -hmm. and so in some ways as i summarize our time together into a, a crystallized point what i found in life is 
that the more like with my wife, she often thinks in the future and she thinks in the future, all, like often. And, and I'm like, I always try to say to her, I, I don't really care. Like, are you happy now? You know? And then right. she's like, you can't think like that. And, and I'm always thinking if I'm not happy and here, then I'm not living the journey. And that's a, a little bit what I took away from how you were speaking about it. Just yeah, now. I think we have to live in the present. Um, we have to enjoy today, but we also need to have that carrot that we're planting um, yeah. because we need something to look forward to um, tomorrow or next week, next month, because otherwise, why are we doing all of this, right? Why? Yeah. What are we going through all this for unless we have that carrot? That's something to look forward to um, in the future. Ronnie will love you for that because she always yeah. wants that carrot. She needs that carrot. I, I want to take carrot. this. I want to take this part and put it on repeat for Andy. Laurie, <laughs> uh, when you read the last letter and it is the, the first chapters where Andy speaks about his mother, his mother's death, and how his brother came to pick him up. I mean, you you mentioned that your mothers were friends. Mm-hmm. So as you were reading, in your brain. What was, what, how did you live that moment? You know, Were you I think, aware? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because that's that period in life where Andy and I weren't engaged with each other, right? And so um, I knew of our mom's relationships. Um, I knew of the passing of his mom, but it filled in a lot of gaps for me of being able to be there almost as if it was the present again. And mourning the loss of your mother, but understanding everything that you went through, I could just visualize, um, you know, that whole piece of that journey of when you got the news and how you felt and what you were going through at that time. Because since we were at different aspects of our lives at that time, um, I knew of her passing and, um, and I could imagine how you were feeling, but that was kind of all. Um, yeah. This actually allowed me to to live it for that little bit um, while I was reading. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things about events in life. Like you, like just like when you're diagnosed with cancer for the first time. Like I don't believe one can really truly understand that feeling if they haven't experienced it themselves. And I think the same is true for a death, right? I always thought that I could prepare for like my dad's death better than my mm-hmm. mom's death. Like, oh, if I'm more present and if I'm more connected, if I tell him how much he means to me, like I'll be more ready for it. And the truth was when it happened, I wasn't ready for it. It was just right. as painful as it, uh, even now I could cry feeling into it because in a way that loss is always something that we, we cannot prepare for as much as we'd like to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think we could. And and I think my loss was my loss of independence and my loss of freedom. Um, and so it's it's very similar to something like that. It's definitely a, a, a grieving of a loss um, of something that I had and, and no longer will have. Yeah. We have a lot of comments that have come in in the and Judith yeah. Jones is trying to defend Uh-oh. herself, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, Lori. She's the most amazing person I know. Megan Samuel is That's uh, my daughter. Your, your daughter, I can see. Hi, favorite aunties. <laughs> and then we have Katie Marley. Uh, does she call you Megan? Is that right? Or why does she say, I love you, uh, Megan? I think, she's, I think she's responding to Megan, my daughter. I think oh, she, beautiful. Megan was responding to favorite aunties, which would be Kate and Judith are her oh. aunties. 
And Jessica, who's here in Amsterdam, I walk with her today, says so much respect for you, Laurie. What a journey and what a perseverance. And Pat Edelman, Gustorf. Gustorf, Gustorf. Gustorf, uh-huh. has got a German in there somewhere, it looks like. <laughs> Laurie is such a warrior inspiration, so many, such strength. Thank you for sharing your journey. Yeah, and Jody. But now there's more coming in because I see I'm reading them. <laughs> <laughs> You're all, Jody Council and uh, Jody Council and Jennifer Gibbard. I definitely Priest. think that this is just an example of the community that I have around me. Um, I'll tell you. I mean, it takes a village, but that's no joke. Um, yeah, people lift me up or help me physically, mentally, emotionally on days that they don't even really know kind of what they're doing and how they're helping. Um, But through these many years from rides to meals, to friendship, to hugs, to conversations, um, I think so many people have had a piece of my journey to be grateful. Wouldn't even really explain how I feel um, in my gratitude towards so many of these people. Yeah. We've gone over our hour, and I do want to be conscious of your time and your energy. So I would like to leave the final word with you. Is there anything you'd like to share with the people that are watching? I'm not going to quit. Um, I'm going to keep climbing that mountain for for you all, for for my family, for my friends, for my Loma, um, to make a difference so that other people maybe don't have to go through um, what we're going through um, as a family here. But Mostly just thank you for for sharing on this journey with me and, and easing it along the way. I appreciate it. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.